Welcome to the feminist history party you've been waiting for. This is Nevertheless, She Existed. This is the podcast about the women of history who are underappreciated, overlooked, or sometimes completely forgotten about. Mm -hmm. The stories you'll hear on this podcast are recorded live in New York City at Caveat, your favorite speakeasy that gets you a little smarter and a little drunker on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Each month, we do a deep dive into a different topic within women's history. This month, we're doing Ladies of the Wild West. Down the line, you can look forward to stories of explorers, journalists, spies. Every episode, Molly and I will dish on a tiny corner of women's history, provide a little framing, a scooch of context before introducing the main story. Scooch. (laughs) Sorry, I don't speak Canadian. Uh, One kick-ass woman from today will tell a live story about a woman from the past. We got comedians, storytellers, and curators raising a glass to the woman who should be in your history books. Cheers. I am Molly, and my reindeer fact is that reindeers are the only deer where both males and females grow antlers. Aww. I know. My name is Kylie, and my reindeer fact is that their noses warm the air so it's warm enough before it gets into their lungs. Oh, that's really cute. Oh, like so a little baby sweet. bottle for themselves. Yes, exactly. Love that. Okay, can I just really quickly um, make everyone listen to a joke that I wrote that I need Kylie's help for? Great, thanks. I okay. begged her not to. <laughs> okay, I come home. <clears throat> I hang my hat on the coat rack, and I go, Honey, what's my favorite weather? What? No, then you just say it. You're, <laughs> you're the wife in this situation. Oh, I, I am, and I know you well enough to know what your favorite weather exactly. is. Exactly. Oh, okay, God, do it again. so do embarrassing. It again. And scene. Okay. Okay, put the hat on the rack. Honey, what's my favorite weather? Rain, dear. Okay, I feel like in this situation you would love me a little bit more, but we'll continue. This is the second episode of our Women of the Wild West series. On our last episode, we talked about how traveling west offered opportunity to some largely upper and middle class white folks. But let's talk about the folks who had lived in the West for thousands of years before the words United States were ever uttered. Folks for whom the term frontier did not mean freedom or adventure or even the airline that was voted the worst in the United States, according to the 29th annual airline quality rating, made it worse than spirit? You betcha. To indigenous people, frontier meant white people and the disease they rode in on. Don't blame the horses. Yeah. Okay. Before we get started, we want to acknowledge that we are currently recording on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, which means we are on Lenape land. So, everyone who was born here, you're not an original New Yorker, no matter how much you say it. Sorry, Lena Dunham. <laughs> Uh, speaking of white women, I must mention that we are two of them. Uh, yeah, spoiler alert. Um, just a quick note on this. We are going to be talking about a badass Native woman from history. We know we are two white ladies coming in hot at this subject, uh, but we want to use a little bit sprinkling of our privilege uh, to yell about how awesome this woman was. So that being said, if we get anything wrong, please make sure to send us a strongly worded email or a DM. Um, the West was a battleground for indigenous women. There's a lot to cover there from disease to the missions. Now, in California, you which is where I grew up, you learn about state history in the fourth grade. And the big project for the year was building a mission uh, because there are three things all fourth graders should learn. How to glue shit. Oops, there was a genocide here. And how to make a scale model. What? They made you build a mission? Yeah. Like it was a little like, diorama. Like your whole grade for that for social studies was dependent on how good you were at building this mission. And you got extra credit points if you went to go visit the mission. Um, and my parents didn't take me because they'd give a 
fuck about my education. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fine if you missed a, on a mission or two. Yeah, that's probably okay. Um, okay, so in the first episode, we talked about the frontier myth. Uh, it's something that you see exemplified in pretty much every John Wayne movie, and I'm guessing here because I have actually never seen a single one. So it's just a, a guy with a weirdly wide stance speaking incoherently for two hours. Okay, cool. I feel like... Vin Diesel is going to be memorialized in the same way that John Wayne is. Oh, really? Today. That's okay. my guess. Well, I haven't Holiday seen a Fast and the Furious either. So I've got a lot of to watch. And back to the frontier myth. So it begins with the idea that we tamed the West to bring so-called civilization and progress from coast to coast. But <laughs> it's a mythology created around westward expansion to portray American character as like strong, self-reliant, just rugged, you know, sexy cowboy saviors. Well, I'll probably smell. Really bad, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the frontier myth is basically the biggest lie that America tells about itself. Uh, the mythology of white people's conquests of Native Americans and the taming of the wilderness, a.k.a. us winning the West, was used to justify colonialism, really dumb fucking wars, oppression of marginalized groups, and somehow it continues to embed itself in the American psyche. See my fourth grade experience. Ugh. So all this to say, let's be aware of the romanticized story of the West that a lot of us were fed, like when you built that mission. We were told they were just fun church houses. Not what it is. So we have this lie, right, versus the real story, which is targeted removal and extermination of indigenous people. And women had been living in the West way before Lewis and Clark took their famous brocation with Sacagawea handling all the shit for them. So Clark actually gave her the nickname Janie. No. I know. Look, so it's bad enough that he gave her a white name, right? That's like Ugh. institutionally wrong. But it's just fucking petty to call her Janie. Janie? I know. What does a Janie do? Janie eats soup for breakfast and jello for lunch. No. Janie's favorite color is beige. <laughs> Janie only gets off when Swiffer comes out with a new wet jet. All right. Sacagawea got a group of 40 chads across the continent when she was 18 and they called her fucking Janie. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, it is a wet jet. <laughs> <laughs> so I see where Janie's coming from on that one. So indigenous women were on the front lines of conflict, caretakers of communities, entrepreneurs, warriors, badasses. And their stories are the one that gets erased when we mythologize the West. And we're not going to let that stand. Not on our goddamn podcast. Not on our podcast. Mm-hmm. So things I don't love about the West Coast. Frontier ideology. Weird field trips to places where genocide happened. The guy who lived down the street from me who carved a new John Wayne statue every year. He what? Was, I went what happened? His, would he destroy it like Burning Man? He would sell them. Oh, sell them. There's a market for that? Yeah, he was a John Wayne collector. I went in his house once um, because I had to get a ball from the backyard. Oh, my God. Would you grow up in the sandlot? <laughs> Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Things are checking out. I had a good childhood. Look, the West Coast is huge, and the struggles of each indigenous tribe there and across the U.S. has been unique then and now. Yes, and Native American culture and experience in the West wasn't a monolith. So for this episode, we're just going to focus on where the story takes place. We're celebrating Chen Wundak. She was Inupat, a tribe still located in northwestern Alaska. In 1867, the U.S. government took a look at their map and said, you know, this is cool, but I think we can make it bigger. So they bought Alaska. And 17 years later, in 1884, Congress recognized the rights of Alaska natives to continue undisturbed in their possession of any land. Now, there were no reservations or official land designations, just a loose agreement that whatever land was owned by Native people could stay owned by Native people. And according to the Alaskan Historical Society... 
uh, because of Alaska's vast size, lack of detail, knowledge about its interior and its remoteness, Congress put off formal designation or distribution of Alaskan land. So just to clarify, Alaska was so big, Congress was like, we'll do the whole laws thing later. And this led to a lot of legal gray areas that benefited white people in court. And as we'll learn in Chaganak's story, really screwed over a lot of Native Mm -hmm. women. I get it. When I have a big project, I just procrastinate. Um, (laughs) So it took until the 1960s to get around to the legal codification of which land belonged to the state of Alaska and which belonged to the Native people. In the 1960s, Alaskan Native communities were protesting several federal actions, like the regulation of when Native folks could hunt ducks, the proposal to flood 9 million acres in the northern Yukon, and another proposal to literally detonate a nuclear blast off the northwest coast of Alaska. The U.S. government was like, um, would you mind if we just dropped a quick gigantic bomb off in your sea? Just a quickie. All of this amounted to a string of violations of the relationship between indigenous folks and their land. So they organized to fight it. And in 1967, the Alaskan Federation of Natives was founded. And in 1971, the Alaskan Native Claims Settlement Act was signed by air conditioning freak richard nixon he loved ac famous for it i didn't know that until you told me i know he loves a cold room five minutes before we recorded this podcast (laughs) uh that act authorized alaskan natives to select and receive title to 44 million acres of public land in alaska and to a cool 962 million dollars in cash a settlement of their aboriginal claim in land to the state wasn't enough but at the time it was the largest land claim settlement in united states history But the story of Our Lady from History comes from before this landmark settlement, during a time of huge change for indigenous people and all throughout the West Coast and in her corner of the world. In the late 1800s, Shangunak lived, thrived, and played one hell of a reindeer game. You'll hear her story right after the ad break. Hello, everyone. This is Molly. This is Kylie. And we are here to tell you that Nevertheless She Existed is recorded live in New York City at Caveat, your home for smart entertainment. Mm -hmm. Every night of the week, you can come see a show that will make you a little bit smarter and a little bit drunker. One great show at Caveat is Ride or Die Oregon Trail Live. Yes. We have taken your favorite educational computer game, slapped some fucking facts on it, <laughs> and turned it into a real-life drinking it's game. so good. It's hosted by historian and comedians Michael Sagarello and Kylie Holloway. Oh, my word. here. She's very talented. <laughs> and our arms look great in a sleeveless flannel. So good. The rumors are true. Come with a team or join one at the show and cock your wagon, hunt some bison and hear the real stories of the Oregon Trail. Head over to caveat.nyc to see the full list of events. We will see you there. See you. Saddle up! Welcome back. You're about to hear Reagan DeLoggins tell one hell of a story about a woman from history. And don't worry, no one calls this bitch Janie. Hi. God, I'm so glad y'all are asked whose land you're on. I'm really concerned no one knew, except for the other brown person in the room. So y'all need to do some work. Um, Wow, a lot of white people in the crowd, clearly. (laughs) Hi. Sahachafayak Regan, Mississippi Chattasiahoke. Hi, my name's Regan. I'm Mississippi Choctaw. You're on my fucking land. And I don't appreciate it anymore. But on that note... Wow, a lot of white people in the audience. This one's with me, right? 
Yeah, fuck. Uh, so I'm talking about Shun Runak. Everyone, read it with me, but don't actually read it because how it's pronounced is not how it's written. So it's Shun Runak. Great. You know one Inupiat word. You did it. So I was like really amped to talk about Shun Runak. She's not from my tribe. I'm not Alaskan native. Um, but I wanted to talk about an indigenous woman that was a boss-ass bitch. And this is her, this cute little old lady. And you can't see because she's covering her face, but she has boss-ass chin tattoos. And I don't know if you know this, but tribal tattooing hurts like shit. So the fact that she got it done on her face is pretty amazing. So I was thinking, I was like, okay, so how am I going to tell this story about this amazing woman known as the Queen of the Reindeer? And I realized I couldn't do it unless I told you all about colonization. Boo. Again, a lot of white people. God. So colonization. It happened in the occupied United States by a lot of different European nations in a lot of horrible ways. And if you went to school in the South like I did, you were taught a really bad history of colonization. So I'm going to teach you a better one, real quick one. So... 13 colonies, the Brits, right? We all know that? One person knew that. I'm concerned about you guys already. Okay, so 13 colonies, the Brits. New York was New Amsterdam, the Dutch. Then we had New France, which was Quebec and Louisiana. It just took a jump and ignoring everything in between. I don't know, they really fucked that up. And then you had Spain, which was everything California and South all the way to Argentina. They really fucking crushed it. But if you don't know this, because I didn't know this, and I'm a historian, um, Alaska was colonized by the Russians. Who knew that? I got two hands, and somebody said, what? So clearly I taught someone something. So yeah, Alaska was colonized by the Russians. And the, all of colonization happened because of one object, one resource. Does anybody know what that resource was? Beavers! And not in the fun gay way. I am a connoisseur of beaver myself. So, not the fun gay beaver. The animal beaver. I mean, also could be gay. Also could be fun. I don't know. So why beavers, you may ask? So beavers have really oily-ass skin. Also like me. Uh, they And because of their oily-ass skin, their fur is really oily. And because of that, they're waterproof. And I don't know if you know this, but London is hella rainy. So all these assholes were walking around in London being like, my top hat is saggy now because of rain. Um, that's my breast British accent. That's all I got for you. <laughs> um, and so my people survived hundreds of years of genocide for a waterproof top hat. That's not a joke. That's real. That's colonization. It's the truth. So Russians were like, hey, we got to get in on this beaver trade. And again, not the fun gay beaver trade, regular beaver trade. And they came over to the closest place, which was Alaska. And Alaska had more than just beaver. It had fucking seals. It had salmon. I don't know if you've ever been to Alaska. It's a wilderness. It's fucking cool. But yeah, so there's a bunch of shit. So Russians were like, look, we like what the other colonies are doing, but we don't want to do this like full-time. We're just here to get the resources and get the fuck out of here. So that's where Shan Rulak's story starts, is with an absentee Russian father. 
I thought that would get a laugh. Did not. I think there's a lot of Russians in here and a lot of absentee fathers. Ouch! But she was half Russian because her father was a traitor and he dipped the fuck out. And she was raised by her Inupiat community, which is um, an Inuk-based community in Alaska. And she lived her best life. But because her dad was Russian, she had uh, access to things that other Inupiat people didn't have, which was to learn languages. So she learned English and Russian and like half a dozen other indigenous dialects. And she was hired as a translator. So that's what she did. The US Army hired her as a translator and took her to all sorts of fucking places. And she made some money doing it, but it wasn't enough to bring back to her community and really like uplift the community. Because I don't know about white people, but brown people, we like to uplift our communities. We're not all about capitalism. Uh, We're not looking to like stomp on the other man. Um, That's just not our look. Uh, So she, (laughs) again, the other brown person likes it. God, I really need to start writing comedy for white people. Like, go down to the river or something. I don't know. You guys like that guy, right? The cocaine guy? Um, So she, (laughs) there we got to laugh. So she went with her husband and started translating for the U.S. Army. And while up in the Arctic, a bunch of like U.S. Army officers were like, hey, we're going to take 50 reindeer and you're going to take care of them back in Sinook, Alaska. And she was like, weird flex, but okay. Um, And she took the reindeer, her and her husband, and they went back to Sinook. And unfortunately, her husband died of measles because measles could really kill you. People in Williamsburg can tell you all about that. (laughs) So her husband dies of measles and she goes to the U.S. Army and she's like, guys, I love the reindeer. They're great, but you owe us money. And they're like, your husband died and we are patriarchs. Therefore, you get nothing now. Go away, brown person. And she was like, all right, fuck you guys. I'm going to take these reindeers and I'm going to go live my best life. And she did. So reindeers are not from Alaska, but they actually help with a lot of the ecological devastation that all the Russians did, surprisingly, because they're so fucking big. But they're like, hooves. This is my best reindeer. (laughs) So their hooves like move the soil around for plants and they like eat all the lichen off the rocks. Point is, they're like apparently really great for the environment. I did a lot of research. I had a lot of big words to use. I don't remember any of them. And she realized that the 50 reindeer that were brought back that she was given when her husband died um, were actually fucking amazing. And at the same time in Nome, Alaska, gold was found. And if you know anything about white people, they fucking love gold. You say gold and they're just like, yes, where, who to kill? Must have. They don't even make full sentences anymore. (laughs) They write songs if you've seen Pocahontas, though. (laughs) Gold. Okay, you guys remember that song? Okay. I just grew up with that ingrained in my head. Cool. Um, so she realized that she had 50 reindeer and that all these assholes came from all over the United States to come get gold, but didn't know how to survive in Alaska. So they got to get gold. They came to get gold and then they were like, I'm hungry and cold. And she was like, well, don't I have a solution for you? Reindeer meat and a reindeer coat. So she started selling slaughtered reindeer meat and outfits that she made out of reindeers. And then she used all the bones to make these intricate-ass tools like a boss-ass indigenous bitch. Again, white crowd. God, we're better than you. That's what it boils down to. Anyway, so she does all this boss-ass work, and her herd becomes from 50 to 155. Yeah! 
Have you ever tried to take care of 155 anything? I have two cats and a dog and a boyfriend, and I'm always like, oh no. Did you eat? Okay. Uh, I have to clean your shit again? Okay, that's to the boyfriend too. <laughs> so she had 155 reindeer, and she was just fucking crushing the game. She was doing so well that she was able to herd all these reindeer, teach herself how to do this, by the way, because Inupiat people, though they are from Alaska, are not reindeer herders. But she learned how to do this all on her own, and her herd became 500 strong. And she became the wealthiest Alaskan person ever. (laughs) So at the time, she was the wealthiest Alaskan woman, now person. She's crushing it, crushing it, breaking, breaking the gender binary. So, what happens next? The U.S. Army, because they're fucking morons, sends a bunch of people on the ship up into the Arctic, and the boat gets stuck in the ice. Like, for real, not like a movie, but like real-life history. And they come to Shinrunak, and they're like, hey, girl, remember when we, like, fucked everything up for you? We really need your help. Will you go with your herd of 500 reindeer, save these assholes, feed them, we'll pay you, we'll give you any reindeer that you slaughter will double. And she's like, okay, I don't trust you. So I want everything up front. And the U.S. Army was like, fuck, okay. And they did it. So Jean Runak, now a wealthy-ass bitch, goes up to the Arctic with 1,500 reindeer. 1,500. Like we have, that's a lot of, that's a lot of anything. That's a lot of animals. Like 1,500. And she goes up there and she saves these people. She brings them back and everyone's calling her a hero. They're calling her the reindeer queen. And they talk about how she went to Nome, Alaska riding a fucking reindeer with all these like starving assholes behind her. And it was just like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It even said in the newspaper, yeah. Yeah, like (laughs) I'm quoting that. I mean, I think that people need to understand that that's a pretty crazy feat for an indigenous woman during the gold rush in Alaska. Um, Unfortunately, an influenza came through Sinook, Alaska, where she lived, and killed, like, almost all of her people. I know, bummer. And she didn't really know what to do because she wanted to provide for her community, and she realized, fuck, I have all the wealth in the world, so let me reallocate this wealth... And she took all the orphans whose parents had died of influenza and taught them how to herd motherfucking reindeer. She taught them how to slaughter reindeer. That's the look of slaughter. (laughs) I bet you I'm the only person in this room who's slaughtered an animal. Yeah. Oh, one other person. Cool. Um, So she slaughtered reindeer. She showed that her entire community how to do it and then literally gave away her reindeer to people in her community and was like, I've had the good life. Your turn. I don't think people realize how fucking amazing that is. An indigenous woman got like a million fucking deer, like goddamn Santa Claus. <laughs> Except better than Santa Claus, because Santa Claus is a white guy with a naughty or nice list and like trying to give me presents. That sounds predatory as fuck. <laughs> I don't trust that man. Um, but she came down and provided for her entire community. So to this day, you know, things have changed. She passed in 1948, and um, reindeer were, like, around, but they're not as lucrative anymore because, you know, capitalism uh, came through and, like, fucked shit up with technology or whatever. And so people weren't really uh, hurting reindeer as much in Sinook, Alaska, so they let most of them go. But every year, I'm not even fucking joking. You can look this up because it blew my fucking mind. 
Every year there's these like massive migrations of like tens of thousands of reindeer all across the Arctic. They travel all together. And every year a group breaks off and travels to Sinook, Alaska. They don't fucking know who Shanhunak is. Like, they're fucking reindeer. But every fucking year, a group of them breaks off, goes to Sinook, hangs out for a week, you know, munches some grass, shits some places, and like, kick the soil around, whatever reindeer do. I've clearly never been around a reindeer. And then they leave. And that's the story of Shanhunak. <laughs> no, seriously, though. I just want people to understand that this boss-ass bitch went out of her way to provide for a community that was devastated by colonization. Okay? Thanks. Bye. Get off my land. That was the story of Changunak, told by Regan D. Longins. Regan D. Longins is Mississippi Choctaw, Maya, and Jewish. They are two-spirit activist, art historian, curator, and educator based in Brooklyn on Napa land. Their work relates to decolonizing, indigenizing, and queering institutions and curatorial practices. Regan is one of the founding members of the Indigenous Kinships Collective in New York City. Uh, the Indigenous Kinships Collective in New York City is a direct action group of Native, Femme, Non-Binary People, and Women X, uh, creating an Indigenous community within the city. Check them out. They're fantastic. Yes. Now, I love Changunak's story so much. Her land was taken away from her because she was an indigenous woman, which is horrible, but they left her with a few reindeer, and she's like, I'm going to fucking work with it, and she makes an empire. Gotta make it work. Mm -hmm. I love it. Her story revolves around her relationship to her land and her ability to access the natural resources that sustained her community for generations before her, which brings us to Inupat women today. Now, a pattern we see when white people talk about indigenous women is that we celebrate their art, folklore, and history but then aren't always the best allies when it comes to the actual struggles faced by their communities today. So let's talk about it, how you can be an ally to Chonkunas community today. A key element affecting this community is climate change. So in 2006, the UN adopted the Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, which guaranteed Indigenous individuals' rights to life, physical and mental integrity, liberty, security of person. All of those rights are currently being violated as these folks are on the front lines of climate change. Climate change is coming to fuck us all, but specifically impacting Arctic communities and indigenous communities today as we speak right now. There's really simple problems to understand, like water levels are rising, and that is putting some of these communities literally underwater. And then there are more complicated problems as, as species are becoming more endangered and impacted by climate change up there. Uh, this is causing clashes between Native folks and the federal government um, in terms of hunting regulations, it's impacting their traditions. It's a little bit of a mess. Do a lot more reading on it. So if you'd like to learn more, there are so many resources listed in the episode details, like a starter kit for Native allyship, if you will. There's some texts from Alaska Native Federation, the UN Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and a podcast that our storyteller Regan DeLoggin was featured on about their work with the Smithsonian's Native Fashion Show, an entire exhibition of work that you should 1,000% not wear to a music festival or anywhere. PSA. <laughs> so let's wrap this episode up with a John Wayne quote, because that seems appropriate, right? Yeah, totally. He was asked by a reporter from Playboy if he had any sympathy for the Native Americans portrayed in his films. Oh, God. It's going to be worse than you think. Mm. So Wayne said, I don't feel we did anything wrong in taking this great country away from them, if that's what you're asking. Our so-called stealing of this country from them was just a matter of survival. There were great numbers of people who needed new land, and the Indians were selfishly trying to keep it for themselves. I I need five showers after.
after John, saying that. no! People like these movies? I'm not going to watch any of them now. They like them enough to carve statues every <laughs> other year. And for people to buy them, there's a market for that. There's a market. Right. He okay. painted it, too. It was carved and painted. Ugh. All right. Well, I don't like that taste in my mouth, so can we actually end with a Vin Diesel quote? The, Vin, the John Wayne of today. <laughs> Not even. He's just the Vin Diesel of today. Um, I think this is, uh, this is really moving to me, so I wanted to share it with everyone. He says, choosing the car you drive is like choosing your wardrobe. Maybe even more important. <laughs> We've lost them. <laughs> Sorry, I know I'm off the rails, but you know, yeah, just needed to, just needed something warm and fuzzy to end with. Absolutely, and you know what? Props to you, white bros of today. At least your hero isn't racist. He just might want to fuck a car. <laughs> <laughs> this has been another episode of Nevertheless, She Existed. Thank you so much. Check us out next week for episode three of the Woman of the Wild West series. <laughs> If you love this show, we would love to hear from you. We are collecting images of everyone's favorite forgotten women from history. Uh, send us your favorite photos. Paintings. Woodcuts. Daguerreotypes. Stone carvings. Um, you know, you can send us a picture uh, of a latte. If, with a lady in the <laughs> middle of it. If you cross-stitch, if mm-hmm. your grandma cross-stitches, we want to see it. We're open to it all. And those women might be featured on the podcast. So please tweet us at SheExistedPod or slide into Molly or I's DMs at Molly Gaby or at Kylie Holloway with an underscore. Nevertheless, She Existed is a production of Caveat Media. It's produced by me, Kylie Holloway, and edited by Paula Pickren. Our executive producers are Kate Downey and Ben Lilly. Head over to caveat.nyc for live shows and, coming soon, more podcasts. And if you like this podcast, please remember to hit that subscribe button and rate and review. Subscribe! Subscribe!